0: Hey there, my name is Roy and I am the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly and we're so glad you've joined us today. You've chosen to worship along with us and you've chosen to dig into God's Word as we're in part three of this series called Emote Control. Now if you were to go out today and you were to go for a walk in the woods and you came across a, a sapling, like a young tree, and you were to grab that tree and kind of pull it down, maybe sort of the, the height of your head to an extent, And, and if you let go of that tree, it would snap back into form. Now, if you were to grab the tree again and bend it just a little further this time, like kind of drag it down to the, to the ground, eventually what you will hear is not just a bend, but you'll hear a snap. And when you let it go this time, it doesn't snap back into place. It's, it's now broken. It's now stays down. Well, this is an effective illustration of what happens in in this, the spectrum of stress and burnout. The, when you stress, it's, it's like being bent. And eventually you snap back to place, you do recover, but when you, when it comes to burnout, first you bend, but then you break and then you stay down. Burnout is this, it's this real phenomenon. It's this, it's not this figment of your imagination or the sensationalized diagnosis from, from a really dramatic psychologist. It's, it's a real and it's a common thing. And it's very dangerous. In fact, the side effects of burnout can be, uh, exhaustion, uh, irritability, anger, paranoia, headaches, ulcers, uh, immune dysfunction, depression, and even suicide. Burnout is that point where something within you breaks. Something gets to the point where you're like, I can't keep trying anymore. When you finally just throw up your hands in the air and say, I don't know if I even care anymore. I don't care who sees me. I don't care who hears me. I don't care about anything. I just I just can't do this any longer. There is... There is incredible danger when it comes to burnout. But burnout doesn't have to be the, the end. It's possible to, possible to recover and to experience passion again and enthusiasm and productivity. But recovery requires taking a break. It takes an extended period of healing. And believe it or not, Christians are very susceptible to burnout. We don't like to talk about it. It's not something we, we like to talk about in the church, but, but by nature, Christians are often very sensitive and very ultra aware of what's happening around them and the effects that it's having on other people. As a Christian, you experience, you, you see, you see pain sometimes that other people don't see. And you internalize it because we want to rescue the wounded. We want to save the world, but we don't always realize that we were not designed to carry the entire global burden. On our individual backs. In today's age we are more and more aware of the pain and tragedy than ever before. Thanks to the internet I can pull up the the front page of a newspaper from pretty much any town or city across the entire globe in in a matter of seconds. I, I hear about things globally that 20 years ago I may not have heard about. In fact not only do I hear about them but sometimes I see them as they happen live. You know, thanks to social media, I'm more personally invested in other people's lives. So many people's lives. See, a couple of decades ago, if, if you had a, a, a relative that lived on the other side of the country and they had a, a, a car accident, like a minor car accident, or they, they lost their job or something, they, their, but, their basement flooded or something, something devastating to them, but somewhat minor, I probably never would have heard about it, you know, maybe my mom picks up the phones talking to a relative and I hear about it maybe like weeks later, or maybe I, I probably don't even hear about most of it at all. But now in the course of a day, thanks to how connected we are, I may hear about a major car accident by, from one of my friends, or, or I see a childhood friend's spouse has passed away from cancer, Someone loses a job, a friend's business goes under, uh, there's a bombing in the Middle East, uh, here's today's COVID numbers, and, and the list goes on and on and on. It just builds and builds and builds, and this is in a 24-hour period. And the point is, is that you shouldn't just put your, bury your head in the sand and just ignore it and stop caring about people. That's not it at all. But We find ourselves taking on other people's concerns and sadness and frustration and anger and pain. And we just, there's so many people around us that we just, we take on a lot of that ourselves. And it was more than we were designed to handle. It's more than we have the capacity for. And so as a result, we feel tired. We feel weary. Like we feel emotionally exhausted. And that's one kind of tired. For many, many of us, add on work or school or other responsibilities that you have. Maybe you're you're working more hours than you've ever worked before because COVID came, and, and during COVID, you were just so blessed and fortunate to to have a job. So your job that where you would maybe normally draw lines in the sand of, I'm not going to work that more than this many hours, now is asking for 50 or 60 or 70 hours a week. And you're thinking, well, I'll just do what I need to do because I need a job. And as a an result, you're... You're physically tired. And when you combine, combine your physical fatigue with your emotional exhaustion, it's hard to understand why someone says to you, hey, how's it going? And you say, fine. But what you really want to say is, I'm done. I, mean, I, I have nothing left to give. I'm burnt out. And so in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Jesus says in the message translation, are you tired, worn out? I don't know if there's a time in history where when you read these words, you can relate more. Yeah, Jesus, I am tired. I am worn out. I'm tired of COVID. I'm tired of, of, of masks. I'm tired of social distancing. I'm tired of not being able to hug people or go to people's houses. I'm tired of being afraid that when I pump gas, what's going to be on the nozzle. And I'm tired of hand sanitizer. I'm tired of putting my life on hold. I'm worn out from what's happening around the world. The news that I see and people dying and the politics and the race relations. In short, Jesus, I'm tired. I'm worn out. You see, there was a study done in Business Weekly where they interviewed a number of people on their jobs and asked them, How are you? And when they push past the generic, they push past their generic answers of, well, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm okay. They ask them, no, 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 how are you? There was one question, the one answer that came up time and time again. It was, I'm tired. Or some variation of that answer. Another way that we say, and maybe this is the way where we're like, ah, I don't, want, I don't want to seem like I'm weak or anything. So we say this, but it's really kind of the same answer. I'm busy. I mean, I'm getting ready to be tired. I'm so busy. I'm crazy busy. Like I, there's not enough hours in the day. I'm so busy. Like We sort of wear that like a badge, like it's a thing of honor. I'm so busy. But really what you're saying is I'm tired. And maybe, maybe that's your go-to answer. When someone asks you how you're doing and the person is not like the barista or the bank teller you know it's like i'm fine or i'm okay but the person isn't quite a close enough person but they are someone that cares enough maybe you just say well ah man i'm so busy i'm so busy or i'm tired so to see if this is true instead of asking you, are you tired? Or are you busy today? I'm going to give you a sort of a checklist that you can kind of go through on your own. And you can tell me whether, um, well, you're watching that line. You can raise your hand and you'll see it. Uh, it. This gives us an indicator how busy you actually are. So number one, I have cut through a gas station to beat a red light. How many of you have done that? Guilty. I've done that. Number two, I don't like to take vacations where my day is not fully planned every day. For some of you, you, you just have a hard time sitting and just reading a book or just sitting under an umbrella and just relaxing or taking a nap and by, by the water or, or whatever. You want to go, go, go. You want everything planned. You want to have an agenda. What happens from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed? Number three, rather than wait for the person at the gas pump in front of me to finish, I will pull in the wrong way, drag the pump over top of the car just so I can get done faster. How many of you have done that? Uh, number five, number, number four. I often switch checkout lines because I think mine is the slowest. I have done that more than once, actually, in, in one, one turn. I've jumped from my lane back to the original lane I was in and then back to another. It, and it just, I, it, it doesn't work out. It never does. Uh, Number five, my biggest nightmare is being stuck in a line with the lady that pulls out her coupon accordion folder. Now, if that's you, if you're that person, well, I'm I'm so happy for your savings, but for the rest of us in the line behind you, anyway, moving on. Number six, rather than fall asleep, I spend the next two hours thinking about the things I didn't do or still have to do tomorrow. Number seven, I often find myself eating meals in my car. Now, if that's, I, I think all of us have done that at some point where we've had to, we've had to eat on the run kind of thing. But I was driving, uh, a few years ago, it was me and my wife and, and a couple friends of ours, we were in the, in the U.S., cause this could only happen in the U.S., right? We we're driving down the highway. Now, now mind you, we're doing like 110, 120, cause their speed, speed limits are a little faster. We're driving and, and there's a car, Right beside us. And as we look over, there's a lady in the car and she's driving. She's the only person in the car. She's driving and she's full on eating spaghetti. And I mean, I'm not talking like out of like a takeout container. She's got a plate, like chinaware and, 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 and silver. And she's doing the little spin, spin with the fork thing. And she's eating spaghetti, driving with her knees down the drive. And that, that's when you know. That's when you know you're too busy. When you have to take actual, actual dishes from your kitchen with you on the go, you know you're too, you're too busy. Last one. I don't like the church dismissal where Pastor Roy dismisses us one at a time because I can't rush to get out of here really quickly. Now, those of you who are at home, maybe you haven't experienced this but because of COVID, we've had to do a, a more regimented dismissal. And some people just love to rush out of here and get out as fast as they can. And now they, they have to wait for me, which. But anyone, did you answer it to, how many of these did you answer yes to? In this series, we've been looking at the biblical way to handle our emotions. In week one, we looked at how Jesus handled being overwhelmed by emotion, and yet he chose to prioritize the will of his father over what his feelings told him. In week two, we looked at David and how he felt this shame when he committed adultery and murder and how God's forgiveness doesn't just reinforce our sin or it doesn't just, just remove our sin from the, the record, but it actually is it's, it's meant to remove the feelings of shame that goes along with that. Last week, Pastor Justin did a great job of laying out how David handled his anxiety and how he allowed it to push him closer towards God than, rather than farther away into isolation. Today we look at we look at being tired. Now at first you're thinking, well, I don't know if that's an emotion. But we know that when we're tired, when we feel burnt out, exhausted physically and emotionally, we become vulnerable to a range of emotions that we actually want to be free from. And we, when we're tired, when we're exhausted, we end up lashing out, we end up saying things, we end up doing things that we look back on it and go, I don't know who that was, but that wasn't me. I don't, that's not the type of things I normally would ever say or do. Like we said at the beginning, when you're exhausted, you're more likely to feel the effects of depression, anxiety, irritability. And so being tired is the gateway to experiencing some of these emotions that we are currently struggling with. So we're going to look at some of David's psalms. And King David was a warrior. He was a giant slayer. He, he was a powerful king, but he was this highly emotional man. And he's been teaching us how to express our emotions in a way that honors God. Now, as you read the Psalms, these are not an instructional manu- manual. You're not going to find, here's David's five steps to be able to uh, overcome anger. Here's David's five steps to help you with your anxiety. It's What he does is he invites you on a journey with him. And his emotional roller coaster, where he's, he's, you see the ups and downs, but then you also get to see what it looks like when he comes out the other side and he has submitted and given his emotions to God. So today we're looking, going to look at perhaps David's most famous psalm, Psalm 23. Many of you know at least part of this psalm, but we're going to just look at the first, uh, first few, view first, few verses, because I believe if you understand what the first, uh, verse means, or the first few verses means, it it actually unlocks the rest. So number one, Psalm 23, verse one says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now, for some of you, you grew up with the King James Version, and it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, When I was a kid, I read this for the first time, I didn't understand this at all, because it was like, the Lord is my shepherd, okay, I understand that. I shall not want? But I thought Jesus was, anyway, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Let me just let me just read that one more time. Just let kind of let that sink in. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. David says, he starts the whole thing by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. See, if the, if the Lord is David's shepherd, what does that make David? It makes him a sheep. Now, this, sheep, this term sheep has been hijacked in our current culture. Many times people will use this word to describe somebody that just believes anything that they're told. It's a favorite phrase of some of the internet conspiracy theorists, where it's like, if you don't believe this alternate theory of what they're, they're saying, and you just believe what the government's telling you or whatever, you're a sheep. You know, it's, it's not a compliment. You're, you're such a sheep. And truthfully, when someone describes you and they use an animal as, a, as, as to describe you, you don't want them to use the word sheep usually. Like, I'd rather use lion, like powerful and commanding, or, or, or cheetah, powerful and quick or, or a gazelle you're so so graceful something either like strong fast or graceful those are so much better sheep is an animal that's completely dependent on someone else to lead them a sheep needs a shepherd and so the reason we come to this place where we have this hard time finding rest and we toe the line of exhaustion and burnout is because we confuse this relationship we don't want to be the sheep We want to be the shepherd. We want to be, we want to live like everything depends on us. We we want to be the provider. We want to be the caregiver. We want everything to depend on me. I'm the one leading this flock. I'm the one everyone looks to. And so you start putting pressure on yourself where you believe that you are the shepherd. And it's no wonder you're tired. It's no wonder like you feel like you can't slow down and rest. And so David starts off this Psalm by establishing where he's, where he is on the ladder. He's like, I'm not the shepherd. I'm, I'm the sheep. Uh, By taking that position, you're humbling yourself and you're declaring that you are in a place of dependence. I can't do it all. I can't carry all these burdens by myself. I can't handle all of this responsibility. I need God's help. And that's where David's at. And, And he's like, not only do I need your help, God, I trust that you will help. And because I trust you, then I can rest. Some of you will be able to relate to this, and some of you, your time will come. But my kids are 20 and 18. They've been driving for a few years. And today, if I'm traveling with them and, and, and they're driving, I'm in the passenger seat. If we're going on a bit of a drive and I'm a little bit tired, I'll, I'll put my seat back and I can close my eyes for a few minutes and have a nap. And because I trust them. I've seen what they can do. I've seen them drive long enough. I know what they can do. But it wasn't always like that. Parents, you understand this? You're never more alert in your entire life, I think, than the moment you get in the passenger seat with your 16-year-old and they get out onto an actual street for the first time. You see, now, my trust level is at the point that if I need to, I can rest. Because I have the confidence that It'll be all right. I don't need to be there telling them which way to turn, watch out for that, any of that. And this is where David's at. He trusts God fully. And because he does, he knows God's got the steering wheel. I can just recline my chair and I can rest. I can catch up on some sleep. In, In week one, I talked about our minivan, our first minivan. We blew the engine in the van because we didn't get the oil changed, and we just kept driving it without the required maintenance. And and I know now, but the manufacturer understands that you can drive their vehicle for a period of time, but if you don't stop, no matter how busy you are, if you don't stop and take time for the maintenance, that vehicle eventually is going to come to a grinding halt. See, God is your manufacturer, and he understands this principle as well. And so as you study the Bible, you discover during the creation story especially that God had this rhythm to his creation. And part of that rhythm is built in rest. See, God would create something and then he would pause. He would step back and he would just he would admire his creation. He would say it was, it's good. And then he would build something. He would create something. He would step back. He would admire it and he would say that it's good. And then that was the, that was the rhythm. That was the rhythm that was going on. But part of that rhythm was after day six, where it says in Genesis 2-3, on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. So scripture begins with this rhythm, and then you hit Exodus, where the Israelites are introduced to the law. And what God does is he, he takes this rhythm that he had during creation, and he requires it among his people in their daily lives. He, he commands the people that they need to observe this same sort of rhythm in their lives. Why? It's because he's the manufacturer. He knows how we were formed. He knows how we were built, but he also knows what we need to run and he knows what will stop us from running. And so this daily rhythm of working and doing things, but we work, we do things, but then we pause and we, and we, we admire the creation. We, we say that it's good that he's good. And we pray, and then we go back to working, but we get to a part, point where we require a Sabbath. We require rest from all that work. And honestly, we've lost some of that in our society today. I mean, Sunday was, was the Sabbath, and now it's no longer a day of rest for the rest of society. And I don't mean that the, the solution is to, to go all legalistic like the Pharisees did a number of days ago where they had over 600 rules for Sabbath, what you can and can't do, where it kind of became more of a burden than a day of rest. And they write down to how many steps you can take on the Sabbath. I don't think that's the answer. But taking a day to rest and recoup is part of God's rhythm and our society has lost touch with it. See, even if you're not a Christian, You've got to to be able to see the benefits of taking a day where you devote it to physically resting and and allowing yourself to mentally rest at the same time. Uh, We're in a society now that's we used to be six days on, one day off, now we're 24-7. We're constantly go, 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 and it's taking a toll. And and as Christians, we get caught up in that sometimes because then we push some of our work into Sunday. We allow other tasks to distract us from making making a church or worship a a priority, and then we begin the work week on Monday and we feel kind of frazzled. We don't know what happened. It's, It's like this: Have you ever taken your kids to to Disney World on vacation? We took our kids to Disney World. It was it was a ton of fun, but it's not relaxing. We went for a week. We drove. we drove for like a day and a half down to Florida. We, we spent three days at the theme park. You kind of get back in your car and you drive a day and a half back and you get back from the vacation. And it was so good. There were so many memories. But part of you is just like, I think I need a vacation from my vacation. That's what our week looks like when we don't understand God's rhythm. When we don't take time aside and actually create the space for us to rest. And so we go on and on. And we think we can accomplish more. But inside, we know and you know that this pace really isn't that sustainable. And you know that you're eventually going to pay a price, but you push yourself and you push yourself to the point where your body just kind of lets you know, I can't do this anymore. The other area where is a major concern is our relationships. Because your relationships, they feel the toll of this as well. Because you're not taking the time to connect with those that you care about. And you end up being a bear to be around because you're, you're feeling the pressure of being the shepherd. You're not just allowing yourself to be the sheep. And so when you understand God's rhythm for you, you benefit physically, you benefit mentally, you benefit relationally, but you also benefit spiritually because when you take that time to just rest and and be in God's presence, you realign yourself with God. You sort of recalibrate in that moment as you head into Monday. And you also display your faith in a practical way. You show that you trust that God will help you accomplish in six days what you thought it was going to take to, 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 to accomplish in seven days, because you're the sheep. I have a friend that I worked with for 10 years. He's a pastor in my, in my past church. He's a he's part-time pastor, part-time farmer. And he was raised in a farming family, but he was also, he was raised in a Christian family that loves God more than anything. And in their family, they had this hard, fast rule. They didn't farm on Sundays. And I I now know enough about farming to know that there is real pressure. And sometimes that, that window for planting or for taking crops off the field can be short. And a lot of times it's weather dependent, which sometimes makes that window even shorter. And there's pressure. And I don't pretend to know what that pressure feels like. Because I can only imagine it's immense. And if you're a farmer and you're listening, this is not a guilt trip. This extends to anybody who just doesn't take the time in their profession to just rest and take a Sabbath. But what I did watch is I watched for 10 years in my friend's life how God honored his decision. Even days, I'm sure there were days where he's like, oh, it's rained all week. I should be out there. Everybody else is out on the fields right now. But I watched how God honored his decision to, to honor the Sabbath when other people were working on their fields on Sunday, he made this decision to, to honor God's rhythm. I saw how faithful God was with his crops. There were a number of times where his, his beans outproduced people around him who were working longer hours. The number of times that, that that happened just didn't make any sense. But what his actions displayed was that he believed that God was the shepherd and that he was the sheep. And that not only did God know better, but that he would also provide when it didn't make sense. You know, as, I, as we're talking about this, about getting rest and taking time, I know there's many of you that are agreeing with this whole concept. You, you, you don't have any arguments against it. In theory, it sounds good. And most of you maybe are nodding along, agreeing with it. But agreeing with it and doing it are two different things. Because some of you are looking at your day timer right now, your schedule, your calendar, you're looking at your to-do list, and you're thinking, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to eliminate any hours from my week. You know, we look, sometimes we look at time the same way we look at money. We even use the same words at times. Like, I'm going to spend some time on that. That's just a waste of my time. My time is extremely valuable. I'm banking time. I'm running out of time. I'm going to donate my time or, or I'm going to give some of my time to that. Because sometimes this word time and money are interchangeable in our vocabulary, but sometimes it is in our thoughts as well. Because for some of you, you hear a sermon on giving and, and you want to give, you you you, you agree with it, you, you want to be generous, but you, the concept in actually doing it are two different things. Because you're like, If you looked at my bank account, you would see why I can't. I just don't have the money to give. And you're hearing this message today, and you agree how how can I not agree with resting more? I know how busy my life is, and I know how beneficial it could be, but I just don't have the time to give. But David says in verse 1 The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. See, this statement is key. I lack nothing. You know what it is that keeps you from resting? Is this idea that you lack something. If I can just do this, if I can just accomplish a little more, if I can just put a little more money away, if I can just do this, then I can rest. But until then, I lack. The problem is, now more than ever, we're reminded of what we don't have. And we become focused sometimes on what we don't have. And so we decide by by what we see that there's lack in our lives. Social media does this great job of reminding us of what we don't have. You know, all it would take for me is a few minutes of scrolling through social media and I can come to the conclusion pretty quick that my house is too small, my car is too old, I need a cottage, I need a boat, I need more muscles. And the list goes on and on and on. You know, I was just talking to a pastor friend the other day. and He was telling me that he's helping two couples at the same time that are on the brink of divorce. Like, it's, it's kind of on him right now to convince them why they shouldn't get divorced. And, and both couples' relationships fell apart the day after Valentine's Day. And I don't know all the details, and maybe it's just a coincidence. But on social media on Valentine's Day will lead you to believe that every relationship is incredible. Even if he's a jerk for 364 days a year and buys flowers once and his wife posts it, you instantly go, wow, what a relationship. That's I'd love to have a relationship like that. And you're looking at this on your phone and examining examining your own relationship through an artificial lens. And you come away believing that there is lack in your relationship. But David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And when you fully grasp that, the pressure's off. When you fully grasp that he's the shepherd, that you're the sheep, you understand that you have all you need. Verse 2 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. See, God desires for you to be renewed. He wants to provide everything you need, and he knows you just can't keep going. In his book titled Sabbath, Wayne Muller says this, if we do not allow for rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents create sabbath for us. You see, I just learned this the other week, this week actually. But sheep will often eat and eat and eat without taking the time to digest what they're eating. I mean, you've seen this, you've seen your uncle do this at Thanksgiving. It's like they don't know when to stop. And so a shepherd will come along and gently lie them down. Otherwise, they will get what is called sheep bloat. Again, your uncle suffered from this as well. You just didn't need to lie him down. He did that on his own. But sheep bloat is extremely dangerous for the sheep. It's extremely dangerous. And if if it's left unattended, it can actually be deadly. And if they can't digest what they've consumed... They could be in trouble so david says he makes me lie down in green pasture see god knew that if he didn't it was dangerous for david you can't just keep consuming 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 and going and going and going and not taking time to stop and lie down and digest that's why you need to take time you need to let the shepherd lay you down you can't just keep going and going and you notice There's nothing here that David does for himself. It's God that is in control. David just simply submits to his leading. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters. And as a result, he refreshes my soul. All you have to do is create the space, create the room in your week so that you can receive these things from God. And honestly, this looks different for everyone. This looks different depending sometimes how you're wired. I believe corporate worship is an integral part of the Sabbath. But but what about the rest? Well, again, it depends on how you're wired. But there's three questions you need to ask yourself when it comes to your Sabbath. A, does it replenish you physically? Does it rejuvenate you emotionally? Does it restore you spiritually? See, for for some of you, maybe it's an afternoon nap. It's a Sunday Personally, I love Sunday naps. I've learned to love Sunday naps. You know, when I was a youth pastor, my senior pastor used to say to me at times that when, the, when he's preached a message on a Sunday, he is exhausted. He's so tired. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, man, whatever. That, like, you're just getting up and speaking for 30 minutes. I do that at youth group, like, Every week and I and then afterwards I play Capture the Flag with the kids. Like I don't understand how how that's how you be so tired. And then I had to preach for the first time on a Sunday morning. And I don't know what it is. It's emotional, it's spiritual, it's physical. It's almost like you just leave everything out there on the platform. But I go home and I'd be so, so tired. And I couldn't like unlike anything I've I've felt before. And so Sunday afternoon nap. It's it's the best for you. Maybe that maybe that's what it is for for some of you. Maybe it's you on, you pick up an in, a musical instrument because you're musical and you just strum at a guitar or play on the keys. And for you, it's just this part where emotionally and spiritually and physically, it's just it's just a rest. For some of you, it's just it's having dinner with some good friends where they just really pick you up and just you just feel rejuvenated when you're done for them. For others of you, you might have to say, you know what, not on my Sabbath. Not on my Sabbath, you don't really restore me. I'll meet with you on Monday. But and for others, maybe it's an afternoon drive or a bike ride. You see, your day of rest should check these three boxes: Does it replenish you physically? Does it rejuvenate you emotionally? Does it restore you spiritually? You should feel restored. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Because God's rhythm will prepare you then to be your best for the upcoming week. Let me close with this thought. This week, it's really hard in today's day and age to get through the week without having to plug something that you have in to be recharged. Whether it's your phone, your tablet, your, your iPad, your, your, your laptop, something else. It seems like we've, we're charging things constantly. And you know what it's like when you have your, if you have your cell phone and, and that it shows that percentage, you know, it starts at hundred percent. We love when we look at our phone is a hundred percent charged This is great, but it gets into that spot where it turns red and it's down to like 8%, 5%, 3%. And maybe it's even flashing at this point. Like it, we, you need to recharge this thing and you know, I better get this plugged in, or if I don't, it's going to get to the spot where it just shuts down and it's no good for anything at that point. Have you done that for you lately? Have you allowed yourself to recharge, get yourself back to 100% again? Because if I was to look at some of you, and we all walked around with a percentage on ourselves, some of you are walking around with a flashing 3%. You're barely getting by, and you don't even realize how close you are to just completely shutting down. Jesus goes on in Matthew 11, verse 28 says, Are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Let's pray. God, all of us know that we require rest to be at our best All of us know that we can't keep going on at an unsustained pace and expect to be emotionally okay. And sometimes the people around us suffer the most when we don't take care of ourselves. Sometimes we lash out, sometimes we say things or do things that are completely outside of our character, and we're embarrassed by it. And we're better at making sure other people around us get rest, but we're not great at doing it ourselves. But Lord, for you, you understand exactly how we are created, how we're wired, and what we need exactly. And You know that there's an incredible need in our lives for a rhythm of rest. That we can go, go, go as hard as we can the rest of the week and unashamed, but we need to stop on a regular basis and rejuvenate reconnect with you on a deeper level. Reconnect with our our emotional well-being and allow our physical body to get some rest. And that just makes us all the better husbands, wives, children, parents, friends, co-workers, employees. God, I I pray that uh, this is a, a concept that For some of us, we may have to retrain ourselves. We may have to relearn this. But I pray that we would take a portion of our week and we would just put some safeguards around it and just allow ourselves without any guilt to just take time to refresh, connect with the people that we love, and feel rejuvenated. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.